Good to see you this morning. This is a lovely flower arrangement. It's tall enough, though, I do feel a little in the jungle. <laughs> but it's lovely. Uh, it's good to get to be back with you. I heard Trevor did a fantastic job last Sunday while I was gone. Is that right? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Hey, uh, find him later today if he's not in here still. Uh, he has the best socks on today. For f- if you haven't seen these, yeah, Laura, Laura got him some, and it's just printed pictures of both of their daughters' faces all over his socks. I know, I thought it was great. So uh, check in on that. <laughs> today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I am reading in the Pew Bible. We're on page 858 in the Pew Bible, page 858, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Our passage today begins a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Christ, as He has come to earth, teaching His quintessential sermon, a sermon that we are supposed to think that He taught multiple times in different places. But at this occasion, when he came, he went up onto this hillside, mountainside, to where the natural amplification of his voice would work better for the crowds. And he goes up onto the hillside, onto the mountainside, and he begins teaching as all of these disciples, people who are following from all over, come together. The crowds gather up. And what do you think Jesus teaches? What would be included in his quintessential sermon, his explanation of what is going on. Well, he begins in our passage today, the Beatitudes, the blessings or the declarations of happiness in a place that you might not expect. But to understand it properly, you'll have to understand it in light of Moses. This whole thing God set up to look like Moses coming down from the mountainside. When God brought His people out of Egypt, as they were wandering in the wilderness, when it was time for them to go into the kingdom, Moses went up on the mountainside and he received the Word of God and he brought it out onto the mountain for the people. And he had it on carved tablets, you'll recall. Well, when Jesus comes down on earth and He climbs up onto the mountain to likewise bring the Word of God to His people again in a new way, Jesus doesn't have tablets this time. Why not? Because He is the Word of God, and He is God Himself. Whatever He's going to speak are the words of God. They're His words. He didn't need to take notes or write them down. He spoke directly to all of His believers, all of His disciples across all time, and so it's our joy today to read, and we'll continue to look through the Sermon on the Mount each Sunday uh, for most of the rest of the summer together. But this passage asks, answers for us two questions. Why do some people come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord, and why do others not? What does it take to become a believer? It answers only in part, because truly it is the work of God that we, any of us, trusted Him. It's the power of His Holy Spirit. He called us. And yet, there are certain characteristics of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven that are shared by all of us who have put our trust in Christ. Let's pray together 
and let's read what God says to us. Take a moment and prepare yourself to hear and to receive the Word of God. Father, it is our joy that you've spoken so clearly to us today. Help us to hear your word and to understand it and to believe it and to obey it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven." This is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord for us today. An interesting passage, a good, interesting way to start a sermon. Uh, Blessed, I think, is the best way to translate this, but it means happy. And so some other modern translations have translated it that way and said, happy is the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn, happy are the humble. And Just given the way the old King James is stuck in our ears, I prefer blessed. But that's the meaning of it. It's happy. Here's the one who are living the good life. Here's the one who are lucky, who are charmed, who are blessed by God. And who is it? Who do you think in this world are the ones who are blessed by God, who are happy? Well, he starts off saying it's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the humble or meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This first set of blessings of Beatitudes, it's those who are the least satisfied in this world who He's proclaiming blessings to. The ones who are blessed in the kingdom of heaven are those who are unsatisfied with this world and with this life. That's what they have in common, those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are humble, and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are the ones who are simply unsatisfied with this world, with this life. I heard a pastor friend from Florida say this week, people have no trouble choosing heaven or hell, but they have a hard time choosing heaven over earth. Ain't it the truth sometimes? You tell somebody, heaven or hell, well, that's an easy choice. But heaven or earth, and some of us are a little too attached to the world, a little too in love with the things of this world, a little too happy about the life we've built for ourselves and how comfortable we feel and the things we have and what's familiar to us. We're just too happy with the world to put our trust in Christ. 
But Paul says, or Jesus rather, sorry, Jesus says here, first of all, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, blessed is everyone who's a little broken, who's a little hurt. Blessed is everyone who, especially this, rightly recognizes their need for God. It's only those who are poor in spirit, those who rightly recognize that they're not okay and they need God coming into their life, who will ever reach out and trust in Christ. You and I, none of us ever cry out to God until we first realize our desperation, our inability on our own, that we're not all right and that we don't have inside of us the ability to make ourselves right. And so, our faith, each of us, begins with being poor in spirit. It is only when we realize our need that we would even cry out to God and say, Jesus, save me. Please, Jesus, help. And so, the beginning of joining Christ's kingdom, the beginning of coming to Christ, of being a Christian, starts this way. Blessed are the broken, the poor in spirit, those who know they don't have it inside themselves to do what they need to be or be who they want to be. You know, one of my favorite conversion stories is a friend of mine named Pete. Uh, Pete went to West Point. Uh, Pete did a, uh, he did a green to gold kind of thing. He just enlisted after high school, uh, but he was able to, through some program, uh, go to West Point, become an officer. And he stayed in for a little while and then was recruited out of the military world into the corporate world by a recruiting company that grabbed young officers and put them in positions of high power uh, in places in the world. He was making a lot of money. He was about 30 years old. He was married. He had young children. And he had just finished up at a big corporate gathering, some party, where he and his wife both drinking too much and had been carrying on as one does at the corporation he was working on at the time. And they came home, and he said he had been drinking and carrying on, as one does in that culture of that company. And he told me years later, he just remembered laying on the bed there and saying to his wife, Honey, we're just not living right. We're just, this, isn't, this isn't the way I want it to be. This isn't okay. He who had every worldly reason to declare success, having been a guy who barely made it out of high school, but was able to go from enlisted uh, to West Point graduate, an officer, and then be recruited into the corporate world and make a good amount of money. He was just poor in spirit at that moment, and he recognized that he needed the Lord. That's when Pete put his trust in Christ. Pete and I worked together on staff at a church. He was an executive pastor there, and he always carried with him that poor in spirit need that he had for Jesus Christ daily, knowing that he was equipped for all kinds of good work, that he could do all kinds of things, but he, he really had nothing that he needed in life apart from Jesus Christ as Lord. And when Jesus arrives to Israel and brings the Word of God down from the mountain, just like Moses, the first thing that he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit, because these are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom. These are the ones who are going to be a part of God's kingdom. He goes on, he says, blessed are those who mourn. That is, these are those people who are crying out for something better, who know that the world is not okay as it is. Blessed are those who mourn. 
I, and perhaps along with you, did plenty of mourning this past week. Meredith and I drove to Texas to grieve the passing of her grandfather, Bob Pinion, wonderful Christian man with a full life, and it was a beautiful funeral service where I got to meet all of his extended family I hadn't met. I've been married into this family for 15 years now, and so I'd known Bob for a few years more than that. And I knew the man of God that he was, but it was so neat to meet some of his cousins who I'd never met before, who all came together and said, oh yeah, Bob was fantastic. No, he was always like that to everyone. There was no outsiders with him. Everybody was an insider in Bob. He brought you in. Uh, No matter who you were or how you joined into the family, he loved and cared for you. And so I was with a family that was grieving and mourning over his passing. Then also one of our church members passed away last week, Harry Bosley, and we had the funeral service, memorial service for Harry here yesterday. If you didn't know, congregation, reach out to Pat. Uh, She and her three daughters aren't here today because it's Father's Day, and so the three daughters and mom are together just grieving privately. Uh, Next week, they'll head back home to uh, their home church in Cumberland, Maryland for a service there as well, but we had one of the sweetest services here yesterday. Uh, the songs they chose were beautiful. I asked the daughters, as I ask many people in funeral services, I said, you know, uh, let me read it for you. Don't try to read something uh, at a funeral service for one of your loved ones. But why don't you write a paragraph, just a good memory, a good story uh, of your father's life and his faith. And Pat and then each of the three daughters wrote the most beautiful things about their, and the themes kept coming back letter after letter as I read them out about how they all remember these daughters when he gave his life to Christ, and they remember seeing him baptized, and they remember the real change in his life that God did, and how he insisted on them knowing Scripture, marrying Christian husbands, and how they attribute so much of the blessing in their life to their father's salvation and the way he began to raise them after that. It was beautiful, but they were also in mourning and grief Because although they knew that their father had gone on to be with the Lord, after all, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, yet we still grieve as believers because we're now separated from someone that we love dearly. Our hope is not just, not just a very small and simple hope that the world goes on and on and one day we'll die too and then we'll go on to be with them. That is true if the world goes on and on. But our hope, really, the encouragement of our hearts is not that someday we may too go be with Christ and them, but that Christ is coming towards us with them. Our hope, so I read at every funeral service, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul comforts the church and says, don't be deceived about those who have gone to sleep, those who have died in faith. Jesus died and rose again, and so at just the right time, Christ is going to return. We're not just going to Him. He is coming towards us. And Paul says to comfort the church, the dead in Christ will rise, just like Christ did. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then it's no thing for you to believe also that those who have died and gone on before us who are buried in our cemetery, they're also going to rise. I love getting to speak at the funeral of a saint to a group of people, some of them who know a little bit about Christianity or who are modestly around Christian culture, 
and they're prepared to hear, oh, he's in a better place now, but they're not at all prepared to hear the much grander hope that I have that this person, the saint who lies before us, though they may be in a casket, I don't believe they're going to stay there, that we're going to put them in the ground. I know that the ground's going to break open on that day when Christ returns and the dead in Christ will rise. Blessed are those who mourn because the comfort that we're going to receive, I don't have a superlative word to describe how great this comfort is in Christ. Our hope is not a small hope. Our hope is a grand hope. Our hope is resurrection if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Then you'll recall Revelation chapter 1 where Jesus says, Behold, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I was dead, but now I live again forevermore, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Our hope is extravagant because our God is enormous. Our God is so great, so blessed are those who mourn because in Christ we will be comforted. Jesus says, blessed are the humble. What's the classic word for it? What's your King James word for it? The meek. You know that one, but you may not know the word meek otherwise. We don't use that word a lot. And humble is a good one for it. Blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the long-suffering. It is those who look outside themselves for help. Blessed are the humble means those who know that they're insufficient within themselves, and so they look outside themselves for help. One of the cornerstones of Alcoholics Anonymous since its inception was the need to believe in a higher power. That's awfully vague for them on purpose, uh, understanding of God, though our understanding of God is not vague. What's important for them is the recognition, this humbleness, that you're not going to be able to get over alcoholism on your own. It's a humility to say this need for a higher power, for something outside of yourself. But again, our hope is even greater. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are you who know you need God. Because it is only those who are humble, who know that they're insufficient on their own, who will receive from God. And the promise is that these, the humble, the meek, will inherit the earth. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These people who crave righteousness, these are the ones who recognize that the world is inherently broken and it is unable to be self-fixed. Blessed are those who want righteousness, who want justice, because this God of ours who is a living God, who is a resurrected God, He is the God of righteousness and justice. You know, this is why it's easy for us. We, we place a small emphasis on politics in America here because while it's awfully important, it's still so much less important than the things we are speaking of today. And yet... It's why, while not interested in politics, we can rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ who celebrate a holiday like Juneteenth yesterday, emancipation, 
And just like celebrating the 4th of July, because liberty, justice, righteousness are what we rejoice at whenever we see it. So to see other believers suddenly receive justice and righteousness is joy for us as well. I say to you, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, because these are the ones who recognize that the world's inherently broken and the hope is not in political parties, political systems, or just the aggregate of sinners, us gathering together into coalitions, because we can do little more than be sinners together. Our hope is that this God of ours is righteous. And he says, everyone who hungers for righteousness, for justice, good news, they'll be filled. Christ will make all things right when He returns. There is a turn here in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are humble, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These broken attributes, because it's not until we come to a moment where we say, I'm just not all right, that we come to trust in Christ. And rightly living in this world, not in love with it, but in love with Christ and His kingdom, we continue in these things. Though we have our hope in Christ, it doesn't mean we're suddenly done mourning that we're suddenly done grieving, that we're suddenly done hurting or hungering for righteousness. These continue on as our hope is in Christ's return. But in the meantime, the next series of Beatitudes does describe what the person in the kingdom of God looks like fully. And it begins this way, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted. These traits of believers, as we said, while the first series of Beatitudes, it marks believers till Christ returns, we still grieve, we still mourn. Those things happen in us that also bring us towards faith, and then these four show up in our lives. Essentially, these last few say, blessed are those who live as though Christ has already returned. And so, I declare to you today, blessed are the merciful. It starts here. This is foundational to our faith. Not just our insufficiency, that's where it begins, but then our faith really starts when we recognize our need for God's mercy, that we live and breathe and have our being by the very grace of God. Some of you have been awfully successful in life, and God has provided and provided and provided. God bless you. We can't begin to think of this, though, as our hard work that has brought us to this moment. We can't begin to think about our lives as this is because I'm smarter than other people or willing to do more. Rather, we recognize that God was gracious in all things. And so likewise, if we're to recognize that God has been merciful to us and given us better than what we deserve, we likewise must live mercifully. You'll remember the unforgiving cook, the parable that Jesus teaches. He talks about this cook who is forgiven a great debt, is forgiven an amount of money that he owes that's not possible for him to pay off. The king he works for just cancels the debt, and he rejoices but then this cook immediately turns and goes to a friend who owes him a little bit of money and starts choking him out, Scripture says, starts strangling him, saying, give me my money. 
It's made the parable as hyperbole to be absurd. And yet this is us when we receive the mercy of Christ, but we do not act mercifully and forgiving to those around us. I tell you today, blessed are the merciful. Do you want to know whether or not you've really put your faith in Christ and you're following Him and obeying Him? First, look and see. Are you merciful in the way that Christ was merciful to you? Second, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart are those who don't just hunger and thirst for righteousness out there, but those who really want to see righteousness in here. We cannot be the kind of Christian who says, I believe, thank you for forgiving me. Now, what can I still do? Which parts of my old life can I, do I really have to give up this? Do I really have to give up that? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes this is what our faith looks like, going and saying, Jesus, I believe, thank you for forgiving my sins. But let's be reasonable. Surely God doesn't want me to change this area of my life. That is not Christianity. Our faith, rather, must be like this. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who don't just want to see righteousness in the world, but who to be righteous themselves, those who want to turn away from not what can I get away with or what am I still allowed to do, but who develop an attitude of, I am all in. I believe completely. Father, point out to me any other areas of in my life that I can change, and then give me the strength, and by golly, by your strength, I'll change them. Just show me what else I can do, and I'm ready to go. This is what it looks like to be a believer. You know, there's a reason why we all like to cheer on old athletes. It's not just because it gives us hope, right? You watch Phil Mickelson uh, win PGA Championship, and it may give you a little hope. (laughs) But it's just beautiful to watch somebody who never gave up on their game and kept working at it and kept working at it and kept working at it and was always trying to get better no matter what. You know, now that the Olympic trials are going on too, this is one of my favorite things to watch because I love watching the running events. And I love seeing, I say year after year, four years after four years, athletes like Allison Felix, a great elite American runner. I think she's probably my age now, I feel like, and has children, but it's still out there working on it, getting better, working her game and working her sport and trying to grow. Let us be like this in our faith. Dear believer, uh, whatever age you're at, let us set it as our goal to follow Christ all the better tomorrow than we did today. Let us continue to grow in our faith each day. Let us be the ones who are not satisfied that you know, we heard this passage before, but rather are the ones who say, yes, but now I really want to hear it. What else have I missed? Teach me all the more, God. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who crave righteousness in themselves, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is one that I need not preach to you. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you know this church is full of peacemakers. It's so beautiful to see and to hear all the things that you don't see and hear, if that makes any sense. Because there are so many peacemakers, there are so many things 
that are simply passed over, that love of each other and love of the Lord simply let us pass over each other's faults against each other and transgressions against each other. It's beautiful, and it's unfortunately rare, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit that you see God taking each of us who used to might have wanted to make a scene or used to might have wanted to make sure everybody knew we were right and they were wrong. And now we just quit caring about that in favor of moving forward and trusting Christ. Paul says to Timothy, so long as it depends on you, live at peace with all those around you. Paul once more says to the Corinthian church, and this is a paraphrase, Hey, Dave, bump Don for me. Give him a little poke. There we go. <laughs> it is uh, once more, nobody, nobody tell him. It is uh, once more, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, there are lawsuits among you. And why are there lawsuits among you? And these are civil lawsuits, not criminal ones. What Paul's saying is these are guys who are having property disputes or having business disputes with each other, and they're taking each other to court, and then they're sitting next to each other in the congregation. He says, there are lawsuits among you. And here's Paul's answer. Why not, instead of that, why not rather be wronged, Paul says? Why not just let yourself be wronged and let it go? This is the work of a peacemaker, and blessed are the peacemakers, because those are the ones who will be called sons of God. Finally, blessed are the persecuted. It's an interesting way to conclude, right? This is the one of, man, I was hoping that one wasn't on the list, perhaps. It's not wrong for us to want to avoid persecution or avoid harm. We don't have to be like masochistic, like looking forward to it and hoping for it in our lives. We're rather to recognize that to live as a kingdom of heaven means that we no longer live as a citizen of the world. And the world that we're born into is always against the kingdom of heaven. So if you're going to live as Christ's, if you're going to live with your life as talking to other people in the world, telling them to convert from being of the world to now being of Christ, there's going to be tension Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too, if you're following me. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, but simply don't be surprised when following Christ leads to suffering, leads to persecution, leads to difficulties in this world, leads to people being disagreeable to us. We're not to develop a persecution complex like, oh, poor us, but rather we are to know that blessed are those who are persecuted, this is an important phrase, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when, when Paul is called in before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish court on the day of Pentecost, and they tell him to stop preaching, he says, listen, this is what God's called us to do. So you, he's talking to the world here, says, the world says, stop preaching against the world. Paul says, or Peter rather, Peter says, you judge for yourself. Should we obey God or should we obey man? And then they're beaten and they're thrown out of the court. 
And Scripture says, Peter and his associates, they go away rejoicing that they were considered worthy to have suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am making up what was lacking or what continues on in the suffering of Christ. It's not to say that Christ's death lacked anything for us, but it's that Paul recognizes there's more suffering to go around, and he is joined into it. And for Peter and for Paul and for all the rest, they recognize that this is simply a part of being in the world. I'm reminded of an old song that I listened to back in the 90s and loved. That was a long time ago now, uh, if you think about it. Some 25 years ago or more, an old song I listened to back in the 90s by a Christian group called Cademan's Call. And the lyrics were, this world has nothing for me. And this world has everything. All that I could ever want, but nothing that I need. What a fantastic song, and how true. So this is how Jesus starts his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven, for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why is this the list of traits that are blessed in the kingdom of heaven? This is who Christ is. If we want to be a part of his kingdom, then we're going to have to know who he is, since it's his kingdom. And to be in his kingdom is to look like Christ. These are the very traits of Christ here. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm strong and I'm dangerous. No, Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not only does this passage mirror for us Moses coming down on the mountain, but it also mirrors for us Isaiah chapter 61, which Jesus reads when he comes into the temple, we're told in the Gospel of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. They will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastation. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. You will be called the Lord's priests. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations and you will boast in their riches. In the place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. And so they will possess double in their land and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are the people the Lord has blessed. Blessed are those who are the Lord's. Father God, I thank you that you're so gracious to us. I thank you that it is those of us who mourn that will find all of our comfort in you. I thank you that those of us who are broken over our lives and abilities will rejoice in you. Give us the strength to be merciful like you are merciful. Give us the strength to love justice like you love justice. Help us to have pure hearts and to be driven for the rest of our lives towards better and better obedience of you. Jesus, we love you. And this I pray in your name. Amen.